don't know about you, but there is something satisfying to me about making a to-do list and then being able to check off those items as I complete them. Uh, I know that's maybe a certain personality that some people really enjoy that. Um, I'm one of those. And uh, so, you know, you have your buy groceries, check, right? It's great to be able to get that off. Walk the dog, check. That happens multiple times for me a day, but um, take out the trash, check. It just feels kind of good to to get those items uh, crossed off and think, hey, I've accomplished something today, right, At at the very least. But then there are those things that we're called to do, things that we know we have to do in our lives that you can't really cross off a to-do checklist. Um, Raise my kids, Lucas and Sophia. Hmm, I have several more years before I can check that one off the list. That's uh, an ongoing process. Um, Love my wife. That's a daily, lifelong process, right? You can't just check that off. Okay, I've done that. Uh, Honor God of all things. Man, that is something that is constant, ongoing process, right? A daily process. Well, today we are finishing up the sermon series that we've been going through over the course of this summer on the book of 1 Thessalonians. And in this final section of Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, he gives kind of a to-do list to the believers there, but it's definitely one of the second kind of to-do lists. It's not one that you can just sort of check off, okay, I've done that, I'm, I'm, I can move past that. Uh, the list that, that, that Paul gives here in these, in these last verses of 1 Thessalonians are, are patterns, attitudes that are lifelong callings. They are things that we are called to do as believers, but we never master them, and they're things that we're constantly growing into, and yet they are things that we're called to do. Um, and so my sermon title this morning is Getting Practical. Um, we're going to see that, that, that Paul, in these last verses, he gets very practical with the Thessalonians. He lays out very specific things that he calls them to do. Um, it almost feels kind of like a, a machine gun list of just, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Um, and we're going to look at this list of, of these very practical commands and how they apply to our lives today. But also, we'll kind of wrap up our, our time today thinking about how is it that, that we're even able to do these things? You know, how can that happen for us? Um, so our text today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 12 through 28. Um, and so we'll have those verses on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Paul writes, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, 
soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you again for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica and all of the, uh, the depths that we've been able to, to, to study and, and understand and grow from over the course of this summer. And as we um, close this letter today, we pray that, um, that you would form in us, Lord, uh, these, these patterns, these attitudes, these actions, Lord, in our lives, and uh, that you'd show us how you do that uh, among us, Lord. But we pray that, that you give us a an understanding of what you're calling us to and, and also how you will empower that. So uh, lead us, Lord, into this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we dive into our text today, I wanted to just um, start by a little kind of reflecting back a little bit over the course of this letter since uh, we've been going through this letter over the course of the summer. Uh, if you remember, at the very beginning of, of this series, the very beginning of this letter, Paul starts by talking to the Thessalonians um, and he says that he's giving thanks to God for what he's seeing in them. He gives thanks to God for uh, the fruit that's being produced in their lives. He, he, talks, he's, he says he's thankful for their faith and their hope and their love. We've seen that triad um, a couple different times even in this letter. And he also says specifically that he's thankful that when the gospel was preached to them, that they received it with joy, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And he comes back to that theme a little bit later in the letter too, where he talks about how the sufferings that they've experienced and, and, and what God has done through that. Um, he, he reminds them that, that Timothy, who he sent to them, brought back a good report about them. And that, that's what brought back this, this joy to them. And yet at the same time, Paul also says that there's some things that are lacking in their lives. And he says that he, he wants to go back to them to, to help you know, fill out those, those things that are lacking. And some of the things that he brings up in the second half of this letter, he brings up the topic of sexual purity, of, of lust versus love. And we talked about that um, on one of the Sundays in chapter four. Uh, he also brings up this reality of, of those who had died um, in their midst and, and, and that there was this danger of them grieving as if those who had no hope. And so he reminds them of the hope that they have in, in Jesus, in, in the fact that Jesus came to save them and that also he's coming again. Um, and that those who have died will be a part of that coming. He talks about the day of the Lord. We looked at that two weeks ago, um, where he talks about this, this final day when Christ returns, where there will be a judgment. Um, and, and yet those who are trusting in Christ, that's a day we look forward to uh, when Christ returns. Um, and that, and that we, no one knows the day or the hour, right? It'll come like a thief in the night. Um, but those who are trusting in Christ, we, we have that assurance that we will be with the Lord forever, as he says. And so then he wraps up this letter with this, these last, this last section that I just read with this kind of list of, of commands and, and a prayer. And actually, as I was looking through these lists, I was counting out, there are actually 20 commands in these verses. Um, so it's double the 10 commandments, right? We got 20 commandments that, that Paul lists in, the, in these last verses. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe I should give a 20-point a sermon today for you all. Um, but I, I'm going to have mercy on you and, and uh, not, not go quite that long. Um, but there, there's a lot 
that's in these, these commands, these 20 different commands in these verses. There's no way that we're going to be able to plumb the depths of all of these today. But I wanted to just kind of look at, at them um, in, in some ways by looking at kind of two primary areas that we see in these commands that, that, that Paul gives here. And then talk about how, how it is that we can actually live into these things. So the first area that Paul addresses is interpersonal relationships. So he has a lot of things to say about how we relate to one another. And, uh, and, the, and the place that he starts, the beginning of this passage, is addressing a particular kind of relationship relating to leaders in particular. In verses 12 and 13, this is what Paul says. He says, now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Um, I realize it's a little bit awkward since I'm a leader in this church, you know, to say like, yeah, respect me and, and acknowledge me. But, um, but there's something good about what Paul is saying here, right? That those who are, who are over us in leadership, and we're all under leadership in some degree, even me as a pastor, right? I have people that are, that are, that are over me, that the congregation, the elders, right, are, 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 are over me in, in our congregation. We serve together. Um, and so Paul says that those who are, who God has placed in a place of authority or leadership, um, that we are to respect them. Um, the word that, that he actually uses there in, in the Greek, it has more of a sense of, of, of knowing them or acknowledging them, acknowledging, saying, it, yes, you're, God has placed you in this, in this role for a purpose. Um, and and he, he highlights three things about these leaders. Uh, first, he says that they are those who work hard among you. Um, he says that those who are over you in the Lord, there's a sense of, of authority there, but also the the. Um, behind that, there's more of a sense of, of being not over in an authoritarian kind of way, but, but over in a, in, a, in a shepherding and caring kind of way, uh, that they are that those who are, who are caring for you. And it's in the Lord, right? It's, it's, it, that's, that's, that's important. Um, the third thing he, he lifts up about these leaders is that they are those who admonish you, uh, that they are ones who are going to correct when that's needed, you know, correct, though, especially when it comes to, to doctrine and where there's error that's happening, to admonish those. Um, or those who are wandering into sin, you know, that, that, that they're, the leaders are called to these things. And so even for me as a leader or those who are leaders in our church, here's some other to-do lists in some ways too here of what we're called to do as leaders. Um, but Paul says in verse 13, he says, hold them in the highest regard, uh, respect them, think of them in the highest way possible. But here's a key. He says, do this in love. Uh, that the way that we are to, to relate to, to those who are in leadership is not out of duty, not out of uh, begrudging, but actually as a way to love them, as a way to care for those who are in leadership. Um, and, and I have to say, as your pastor, I am thankful for a congregation that does this really well for me. I feel very loved by you and, and cared for and respected, and, and, uh, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but I'm not the only leader in our church, right? We, are, we, we, we have many leaders um, in our church, those who have been elected as elders, trustees, deacons, um, others that lead you know, in, in Bible study, uh, small group leaders, leading leaders in worship. Um, in many ways, you know, Martin Luther talks about how we are the priesthood of believers, and so we're all called to, to serve and, and, and to lead in different ways. Um, but Paul, he brings this out in a very specific way to the Thessalonians. He wants them, as a church, to be thinking about how they're, they're viewing their leaders. Um, so I'll leave it at that uh, for that, you know. But we'll move on to the next area where um, in terms of interpersonal relationships, um, after talking about leaders, he goes on to talk about relating to various other people. 
Um, we see that in verses 13 and 14. Uh, the end of verse 13, he, he says, live in peace with each other. And in verse 14, he says, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Um, there's, there's a lot in that. Again, these very specific commands. Um, that, that first, at, at the end of verse 13, where he says, live in peace with each other. Um, and that's talking about, you know, within a congregation, you know, with leaders in the congregation, but, but beyond that, just within the body, that we are to live in peace with each other. Um, Paul paints this picture of, again, that what he wants the church to be is a place of believers that are living in unity, that are living at peace with one another, uh, that, are, that are united um, in Christ. And he then goes on to address several specific um, groups of people. He talks about those who are idle. Uh, now, earlier in chapter 4, uh, Paul had kind of mentioned this. I didn't really focus on this when we looked at, at that section of this letter. But um, back in chapter 4, Paul talked about encouraging uh, the Thessalonians says, to mind your own business and work with your hands so you'll not be dependent on anybody. And there's different interpret, uh, commentators that talk about maybe what was happening in the church in Thessalonica. There were some people who seemed to be not doing this, that they weren't working. Um, and there's different reasons that people kind of hypothesize about why that was. But the bottom line is that Paul is bringing this out, that this reality that, that we're called to, to do the things that God's called us to, to have a vocation, to work. Um, work is a good thing, and we want to, to do that, to serve and, and, uh, and to live into those things. We realize that's sometimes challenging, especially in re the realities of unemployment and finding a job, right? That, that can be hard. But here Paul addresses those, he says, who are idle. Um, and that, that word that's, that's translated there, it's, it doesn't have as much of a sense of being lazy, but, but the actual word has, is more someone who's undisciplined and disorderly. Um, and so there's, he's addressing kind of people who seem to be undisciplined and sort of just chaotic and, 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 uh, and not engaging in the things that, that, uh, that God's maybe called them to do. And so he says, for those people, Paul says, warn them, um, admonish them, correct them, bring a word to, to, incur, to, to, to bring a little bit of a warning to those who maybe are in this place of being idle. Next, he talks about the timid, which is um, those who are faint-hearted or discouraged uh, those who are in danger of giving up. Um, and, and so for these people who maybe feel kind of broken down, and maybe it's some of those people who were feeling distressed about those who had died, you know, among them. Um, he says, for these people, encourage them. Build them up. Those people who are feeling kind of timid, broken down, come alongside of them. Encourage them. And then he talks about the weak. Um, those who are kind of lowly, those who are in need in different ways. And he says, for these people, help them. Um, that could be applying to those in, in physical need or emotional need or spiritual need. Uh, and then he gives a summary statement at the end of this verse, be patient with everyone. Um, and so basically what he said, all those different groups of people, right? The, the idle, the timid, the weak, um, and actually everyone, be patient with them. So even as you're seeking to, to warn the idle or or to, uh, to care for the, the weak, to help them, uh, to encourage the timid. Even if they're not responding the way that you want them to right away, be patient with them. Love them. Continue to come alongside of them, um, to, to be with them. The next verse, 15, uh, Paul goes on to say, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, 
but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Uh, that teaching is, is directly from Jesus himself, where Jesus talks about not, uh, you know, if someone does something to you, to not retaliate against them, but actually to turn the other cheek. Um, and, and Paul brings up this in, in, in other letters of his, that, that as Christians, we are called not to try to take revenge, to not take things into our own hands, but to leave room for God to deal with, with, with justice. Uh, that's God's place. It's not ours. And, and so on the flip side, he says, then be kind to each other. Um, so be kind to each other as, as fellow believers. But then he says even be kind to everyone else. So it's not just within the body but to all those around us that we're called to be, to be kind to. Um, at the very end of the letter, uh, Paul gives some other specific instructions that also relate to this idea of interpersonal relationships. In verses 25 and 27, he says, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Um, and so here, Paul again gives some very specific instructions uh, pray for us. He, he's asking for the congregation to pray for him and his fellow uh, co-workers in the gospel. Um, this is another thing we're called to do, is to pray for one another. You know, pray for, I need your prayers as, as, as a leader, right? All of our leaders in our church need it. We need to pray for each other too. Um, and, and then he talks about greeting one another uh, with a holy kiss, reading this letter together. He, he's very emphatic when he says this. He, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And that word brothers, you see it throughout this one. That's, this is the uh, older NIV and the newer NIV translation. It kind of has, it's, it talks about brothers and sisters. And that's what that sense is here. Uh, the Greek word is including men and women, brothers and sisters. And he says to greet one another. Um, you know what? You're not going to be able to greet um, one another with a holy kiss if you are deeply at odds and angry with, with, with someone, right? And so he's, again, he's, he's emphasizing this need for unity, this need to be, um, to be patient with one another, to love one another, um, greet one another, read the letter to everyone, he says. Don't exclude anyone, right? Everybody needs to hear this. Um, and maybe, again, as you think back on, on the things that were in this letter, he's thinking about maybe some particular people in this congregation that need to hear these things. He wants everybody to hear it. Again, the importance of unity as a congregation. So there's a lot in this that Paul kind of highlights in terms of how we are to relate to one another interpersonally. Um, and again, there's, there's, there's a lot that we could go into even more in depth. But I want to just look at kind of the next, uh, another area that he, that he addresses here with the Thessalonians um, which is then he talks about internal attitudes and actions. So there's things that we relate, has, how we relate to each other externally, but then he talks about internal attitudes. Um, and we see that in verses 16 to 18, where Paul says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Um, if you remember, back in, in chapter 1, when Paul talks about the Thessalonians, one of the things he gives thanks to God about is that they did have joy, even in the midst of their sufferings. And so um, Paul is sort of encouraging the Thessalonians, keep at that, right? Be joyful always, no matter what your circumstances. And we talked about this um, earlier in the letter, was as how in the world can you do that? And how can you have joy in every circumstance? We looked at um, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and talked about that, that incident with, with, with the, the author, Spofford. How do you have that kind of joy? 
It's when your joy is not dependent on your circumstances, right? When your joy is rooted in something deeper, when it's rooted in the gospel, it's rooted in what Christ has done for you. And so that's the only way that we can have any hope of, of following that, right? Be joyful always is if our joy is coming from a source that is not dependent on our circumstances. Um, verse 18 is similar, right? Give thanks in all circumstances. That is not easy to do, right? To give thanks in all circumstances. Now, remember, Paul here is not saying necessarily to give thanks for all of your circumstances. You know, sometimes the circumstances we have, they're very horrible, right? They're, 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 they're difficult circumstances. And, and there's a reality of sin in our world that, that circumstances happen that are as a result of sin that are, that are evil, that are wrong. But he says that even in the midst of that, to still give thanks to God, to give thanks to God for his, his strength, his presence with us through those circumstances, to give thanks to God for what he's doing in the midst of that, right? And as we think about Romans 8, where, where God is at work, even in all things for good, for those who, who, who love him, who've been called to his purposes. Now, how in the world do you do that? Do you give joy, joyful always? Do you give thanks in all circumstances? Um, it's going to happen as you're rooted in the gospel, but it's also going to happen from verse, that, that's that, uh, verse 17, pray continually. We need to pray continually to be able to have that sort of attitude, right? It's not going to come from ourselves. It's coming as we, as we lift up our requests and our needs to God um, and, and praying continually, having that attitude of, of constant prayer in our lives, um, praying throughout the day. This is a struggle. You know, I know for me too, it's so easy to get wrapped up in our busyness with things that are happening and, 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 and what happens when we do that? We lose our joy. We stop giving thanks. We get all wrapped up in worry and anxiety. And so coming back to the Lord, praying, lifting these things up, that's where God's able to give us that grace to be able to have joy and, and give thanks. Um, in verse 19 and, and through 22, Paul says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Um, now, these verses uh, seem to be kind of taken together. They're, they're addressing this, this, this question about prophecy that was happening in the Thessalonian church. And again, we don't know the specifics of what was happening, um, but that, 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 that command there where he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Um, it's possible that, that there were some people who were, who were sharing a word from the Lord that God had given them and, and that there, were, there was sort of a, a, a treating that with contempt or almost putting out maybe the spirit, what the spirit is wanting to do in the midst of that congregation. But Paul warns, he says, test everything. So just because someone says, I have a word from the Lord, um, don't just assume that it is. And there's many other verses throughout the New Testament that talk about testing those who kind of um, are bringing something to the congregation. And, and Paul says, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. Um, how do you know that something is, is, is good? How do you test it? You test it against God's word. Um, if, if, it's, if it's from God's word, if it's outside of God's word, then that, let go of that, right? We gotta, we gotta listen to the things that, that are coming from the word of God that are in line with, with scripture. Um, and yet there's this in, invitation though to don't put out the spirit's fire. Don't quench the spirit. Um, that again is a, this part of, a, of an internal attitude and action to have a desire for the spirit uh, to be inflaming us, to, to, be, to be living in our lives and, and to not put out the Spirit's flame. Um, 
So there are the 20 commands for you. <laughs> I kind of breezed through those as, as quickly as I could in some ways, trying to give you an overview of what Paul says here. And I don't know about you, but when I hear a list like that, it can sometimes feel overwhelming, right? You feel, wow, what? <sighs> Rejoice always. Pray continually. Live at peace with one another. And, and I, when I hear a list like that, I, I think about, man, all the ways that I am not living up to this list, all the ways that I am I'm not, I'm failing to do that with this person or, or, or I'm, I'm not doing this as fully as I should. Um, and so I want to think a little bit uh, here, at the, at kind of this, this last part of my, my message here today about how do you do this? Um, how does this happen? How do we have any hope of, of, of accomplishing what Paul lays out for us here in this, in this, in this list? How could the Thessalonians have done this, right? Um, well, the first thing to do, the first step, is to acknowledge that you can't do it. At least that you can't do it on your own. That this is impossible to do in your own strength. Um, and actually, the only hope, as we think about this, this list of, of things that can feel so weighty, is that, man, it brings us to this place where we say, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. Um, I need your forgiveness for the times where I've failed. And this brings us to the very end of the letter, the very last verse that Paul ends with. In verse 28, is he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, some of us, when we read a, a verse like that at the end, it, it can almost feel like a sort of like a throwaway verse, like, you know, okay, God, you know, God's peace be with you, the Lord, you know, God's grace be with you. But you know what? After I heard that, that, that section of verses that I just kind of laid out for you, when I hear that, I'm so grateful for that last verse that, that, that Paul says, you know what, here are all these things that, that I'm calling you to do, but the last thing I want you to hear that's ringing in your ears, Thessalonians, is may God's grace be with you. May his undeserved love, his undeserved favor that you don't deserve because none of us lives up to these, these things perfectly. And so we need God's grace. And it's only through God's grace that we're going to be able to do these things that we're going to talk about in a second. But I want you to hear that because God's grace is always the last word to us. That is always the final word to us. That's our only hope is God's grace to us um, that, that we need to hear because we're sinners, because we are, are not able to perfectly live up to this calling. Um, and so I am so thankful that at the end of my life, after even the fruit that maybe is God is born in me, that, that at the end of my life, that last word, that, that that last word to me in my dying breath is, is that God's grace be with you. That's my only hope for what we talked about the last couple of weeks, right? For the day of the Lord, for Christ's return. Our only hope of, of heaven is God's grace. Um, we need him. But then in, in verses 23 and 24, in the middle of kind of these, all these 20 commands that are given, Paul gives this sort of like, this, this amazing prayer in verses 23 and 24. This is what Paul says. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God is the one who does this. 
the things that, that, he, that, that we're called to do, our only hope of doing it is the fact that God is the one who sanctifies us. It is his spirit at work within us. It is the fact that he is faithful. He will do it. He will keep us. He will work within us. Um, not us, but Christ. As I mentioned um, just a little bit ago, yesterday I was, I was up in East Heartland, uh, Connecticut, for my grandfather's funeral. Um, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at that passage um, about those who died in Christ, right? And that was the week that my grandfather passed away when I preached on that message. And yesterday as I was, I was um, up there for the funeral, again, my grandfather, he, he lived a full life. He was 98 years old when he died. And, and, um, and, and one of the things that just came out so clearly in, in, in the, the service yesterday was just my grandfather, he was, he was an amazing man. Like he was a really, um, you know, I, I only knew him kind of you know, really well in the later part of his life, his 70s, 80s, and 90s. But there was something about my grandfather that, that uh, the fruit of the spirit, you know, that list in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, um, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, like those things just spilled out of my grandfather in an amazing way. Um, and so when I, when I was reading, as I was thinking about this passage even, um, the, I was thinking, man, my grandfather did a lot of this. Like he was, he was praying continually. Um, he, was, he lived at peace with people. Uh, he was patient. He was patient even with kids who were trying his patience, you know, um, with his own kids or grandkids. But, and, and he had this joy and, and this, this giving thanks in all circumstances. But the only reason that my grandfather had this sort of character in his life was because of God's work in him. Um, it was because of the fact that he was rooted in Christ. And, and Pastor Roger, you know, who's the previous pastor here at 59th Street, who's now the pastor up in East Heartland, um, he gave the message at the funeral yesterday. And the thing that he focused on in his message was um, the song, the, the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. Um, and there's a, in that hymn, it talks about, I love to tell the story. And it, and it talks about those, those who love to hear the story, um, those who have heard it, you know, who know the story, and yet who have this hunger and thirst to hear it again. And he said, that was what, that was what my grandfather was like. He had this longing to hear the gospel, to hear the story. And after, um, you know, often when Pastor Roger would preach, up there, my grandfather would come up to him at the end of the service and just shake his hand and say, thank you. Um, thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for giving me the good news. My, my grandfather, he knew that he needed Jesus. He knew that he needed grace. He knew that, that, that he would never be able to earn salvation um, on his own. Even though he was a very good man, he was a sinner. That goodness was never, would never be good enough. And, and so my grandfather, he longed to hear the story and he longed to tell the story to others because he, he needed it desperately. And that is the reason that he was able to do any of the things that, 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 this, that this message talks about. Because God was sanctifying him, molding him in these ways. Um, we hear about this, the same thing in, in our scripture reading from John 15 that, that Dennis read earlier, where Jesus says in verse four, remain in me, as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Our only hope of bearing any fruit is 
fruit that comes from being connected to the vine. Um, verse, in verse 5, Jesus continues, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from Christ. We can do nothing apart from his grace in our lives. We can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit working that sanctifying work within us. But when we remain in him, when we are connected to his grace and to his spirit, we will produce much fruit. We will begin to live into these things. Um, But apart from Christ, we can do nothing. This morning we have the opportunity to partake of communion together. And communion is one of those gifts that God has given us to connect us to himself, to remain in him. As we hear these, these, these words to us about what Christ has done on the cross that, that I'm going to read for us in a little bit, as, as we hear this, this, this word proclaimed that Christ giving us his body and his blood for us, uh, that this is a way that we receive that strength to bear the fruit that God wants to produce in us. Um, and in communion, we also come acknowledging that we need his grace and that we have not kept these things fully. We come acknowledging our sin, confessing it to the Lord, as we'll do in just a moment. But then we get to hear that good news again, that he has taken it all for us, that he has paid for our sin in full. We receive the grace of God, and as we receive it, we then pray for the Spirit's work within us, for God to sanctify us through and through, and trusting that, that he who is faithful will do it. He's the one that will do it. Let's pray. Lord, we, we want to be people um, who are, who, whose lives reflect these verses, God. Um, we want to be people who are, whose lives are, are characterized by peace and patience and rejoicing in all things and giving thanks to you in all circumstances and praying continually. And Lord, we acknowledge, though, that, that we, we fall so far short of this so often, Lord, uh, that we are so often um, not reflecting these things, God. And so we come to you again this morning acknowledging that we are sinners, that we are broken people, that we have not kept your law perfectly, and that we need your forgiveness again, Lord. We need your mercy again. And we come to communion even this morning hungry for that, Lord, hungry to hear that good news, hear the story again of what Jesus, you've done for us, that you've died on the cross for our sins, to pay for our sin in full. And Lord, we pray that as we hear these, these, this good news message, just as my grandfather heard it and needed to hear it, or as we need to hear it, that this news would, would, would transform our hearts, that you'd use it to sanctify us through and through, that your spirit would be alive in us, Lord, we would not quench that spirit, but that your spirit would, would be alive, producing this fruit in us as we remain in you, as we're connected to you, the vine. So do that work within us, God. We cannot do anything apart from you. And so we ask that your spirit would do that within us, God, and that you'd even use this time as we worship you now in song and as we uh, receive the Lord's Supper, God, that you'd use that work to sanctify us um, and to continue that work of making us more and more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.